Father, we just thank you today for your word. And I've been praying over this congregation, Revelation 2-7, that they would have ears to hear what the Spirit of God says. Father, this week I've prayed, Deuteronomy 4-10, that you would gather people and cause them to hear from heaven. And I believe, Lord, as I speak forth this morning, that people will be changed. I just confess Romans 1-11 for a mighty impartation. And Father, I just thank you for your word, Isaiah 55-11. It will do what it was sent to do. It will not return void, but it will accomplish and prosper in our lives. And we thank you for it in the name of our Lord and best friend, Jesus. And if you agree, would you say amen? Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, first things first. I'm so excited about this series. It's a brand new series. This is our second week, second installment. We want to launch the new year strong. We want to launch the new year with God first. There's a lot of talk about putting God first But we're taking it a step further. We don't want to just put God first. We want to keep God first. I believe every January, millions of Christians put God first. But by January 15th, that pudding has lost a little fervor. That pudding has lost a little value. And so not only do we want to put God first, but we sincerely want to keep God first. Because look at the subtitle. I love this. If God is not first of all, he's not first at all. And I understand that you know that or, uh, you know, you wouldn't be here on a cold, rainy morning. But we're going to walk through some things today in this journey. Let's look at our text for this series. It's what we talked about last time from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 5. Didn't our worship team do a great job this morning? Come on, can you encourage the team? We missed candy. We really appreciate the team and all they do in leading us into the presence of the Lord. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, 5. It says, and they exceeded our expectations. How many know that'd be a good scripture to pray over your children? I pray, Lord, I thank you over my kids, 2 Corinthians 8, 5, that they exceed my expectations. And how many know you get what you expect? And so you ought to expect a little bit of your kids. Can I have an amen? You ought to expect a little bit out of your spouse. You ought to expect a little bit out of your church. We need to have a little ambition. We need to have some expectations that are godly and God-given. Notice here, they exceeded our expectations. How do we exceed expectations? As a church in 2018, how do we exceed expectations? Notice what they did. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord. And then they gave themselves to us also by the will of God. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us also. Now jump over to Exodus 34 real quick. You'll see it on the screen. We'll pull in an Old Testament passage that exemplifies the New Testament passage. It says, do not worship, do not honor, bow down. Do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. And we began to talk to you last time that if God is first in your life, everything else will come into order. If God is at the top of the page, if you start every page with God first and you put God first in your life, then everything else will come into order. Maybe not overnight. I'm not one of these magic, lucky rabbit's foot Christianity guys. It may take some time. It took you 25 years to get into your mess It may take you a little time to get out of the mess. Can I have an amen? We want God to wave a magic wand and just make all of our mess and all of our troubles go away. I mean, I'll thank God for mercy and thank God for grace, but there's a principle in the Bible called seed, time, and harvest. And I promise you over time, if you plant the right seeds, you will see a harvest of fruit in your life. And we talked about honoring God. There's a difference. You'll see this slide here. There's a difference in putting God first and keeping God first. And we start with God at the top of each page. Every day with my employment, I start God first. With my family, God first. 
in my schooling, in my daily routine, in my finances, in my decisions, in my marriage. I start the top of the page with God first. And as we do, we honor Him. It demonstrates faith and it unlocks blessings in our life. And so this is really our plan and our path that we, we want to jo- journey on together. Now here's a PowerPoint for life that we said last time about keeping God first. It's not trying hard to work God into your schedule. It's working your schedule around God. It's not trying hard to accommodate the Lord and His time. It's, it's actually working your schedule around the Lord. And we won't get into this uh, very much, but we talked about Cain and Abel. I would encourage you, how many of you have a smartphone? How many of you have one of those dumb phones? Anybody got a dumb phone? How many of you have the internet at home? Anybody have the internet at home? We have podcasts. Bruce does such a great job every single week. He loads those podcasts very faithfully. Can we encourage our main man, Bruce, for what he does for us and the Lord? If you missed this message last week, the Lord really gave me some revelation on Cain and Abel. I encourage you to jump in and listen to that because it is life-changing. Abel brought an offering and Cain brought an offering back in Genesis 4. And God had regard for Abel's offering. God accepted Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's. And I gave you some principles. And it's because I believe that Abel gave the first and the best because God is a jealous God. God only accepts the first. God doesn't accept second. God doesn't accept the third. He only accepts the first. And we gave you some really life-changing principles. The Hebrew word regard means to catch the attention of, means to catch the eye, meaning Abel's offering caught God's eye. Abel's offering caught the attention of God. And so we gave you some principles on that. And now we want to jump in this morning to some new ground, and we're going to talk to you about the law of the first. First things first in 2018. And it'll really set our course for the rest of this of this year. So the law of the first. Now I want to travel th- through some things this morning. They're a little mature, but I believe you'll see them, and I believe they'll help you in a tremendous way. Look at Exodus 13. Exodus 13, the law of the first. Now this can be applied in a number of different ways. This is an Old Testament principle that we see applied over in the New Testament. And so here we go in Exodus. We're going to talk about the law of the first. I'm going to try to make this as simple as possible. So the Lord said to Moses, dedicate to me every firstborn. Notice the phrasing, dedicate to me every firstborn among the Israelites. The first offspring to be born, meaning the first male to open the womb and the first animal to open the womb belongs to the Lord. Say this with me if you can. Say the first belongs to the Lord. God said, dedicate to me the firstborn of, of among the Israelites, the first offspring to be born of both humans and animals, for they belong to me. Now, the, the word here, uh, dedicate, in the Hebrew means to set apart, means to consecrate, meaning to appoint, meaning it is an active will that you take the first. If you have a, if you have a, a sheep and you think that sheep will have a lamb, and when the sheep has a little lamb, you give the first lamb because you give the first. Now, I want you to notice this here on down in verse 12. So the firstborn are dedicated to the Lord because they belong to God. Notice this here. You must present all firstborn sons and firstborn male animals to the Lord, for they belong to Him. Which portion belongs to God? The first portion belongs to God. So the first portion belongs to God. You must present all the firstborn sons and the firstborn male animals to the Lord, for they belong to Him. Now I want you to see this here, a tremendous uh, illustration of Christ and what He did for us. Now look at verse 13. A firstborn donkey must be bought back 
from the Lord by presenting a lamb or a young goat in its place. So we see here the firstborn donkey is unclean. There's clean animals and there's unclean animals. The lamb represents the clean. The donkey represents the unclean. How many know God did, did pretty well when he picked a donkey to represent the unclean? So we see here the clean and the unclean. And we see if the unclean is born, in order for you to have and keep and be blessed by any unclean animals, they must be redeemed or bought back. And the way they are bought back, it's by the firstborn lamb. And so you take the first donkey, which is unclean, and it is bought back. It is redeemed. It is paid for by presenting a lamb or a young goat in its place. But if you do not buy it back, if the unclean is not redeemed, then the Bible says you must break its back. You must break its neck. However, if, if you buy back, however, you must buy back every firstborn Son, now look in verse 14. I want you to see this principle. It says, and in the future, your children ask, what does this mean? How many know sometimes when we see the things of God, we want to go, what does this mean? My kids see us operating in godly principles and they say, what does this mean? So the Lord said, in the future, your children are going to ask, Dad, why do we have to kill a lamb and sacrifice a, uh, the first lamb in order to buy back the unclean? And you will tell them, with the power of his mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. And he brought us out of the place of our slavery. And this is a principle of the first. This is what I want to tie this in this morning. So the donkey represents the unclean. Do you realize that when we were born, we were unclean? When we were born in this world, we were unclean because of sin. Let me prove it to you. Did you have to teach your child how to misbehave? How many of you had to teach your child, you're being too good, little Lily, and I need you to go punch your brother. How many of you had to teach your children to fight? How many of you had to teach your children to lie? Now, you're being true, too truthful, Braylon. I need you to lie a little bit. The fact is we were born unclean. But how many know Jesus was born clean? He was born of a woman, but is conceived of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus knew no sin. And so God took the clean in Jesus. And he's called the firstborn among many brethren. He's the first to rise from the dead. And so we call Jesus the firstborn among many. And why is he the firstborn? Because God took the firstborn in Jesus to buy back the unclean, which is us. Tell the neighbors, say, don't be a donkey. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and please say donkey, okay? Let's keep it churchy, all right? And so God took something clean, Jesus, and he used it to buy back the unclean. Now, here's another principle about the, the, the law of the first. When the first portion was given, the rest was redeemed. When the first lamb was given, the rest were redeemed. When the first donkey was bought back and redeemed by the lamb, the rest was given. So if not, we read on in Deuteronomy that if the first part was not given to God, the rest was cursed, the rest was blessed. So when we give our first to God, when we give our first in our marriage and in our finances and in our time and in our priorities, it allows the rest of our life to be blessed. The, the clean redeemed all the rest. How many of you would rather you run your life and it not be blessed? Or how many of you would rather dedicate and sacrifice your first to God and then the rest of your life be blessed? I'm taking that. And what we're talking about, friends, is, is, is a lifestyle. This is, this is the habit of God. How many of you know we ought to have the God habit? 
Uh, if I ever write a book, and I don't know if I ever will, if, if I do, dear God, Gail will have to proofread it. Can I have an amen? <laughs> but I would, I would attack, and it may even be a book out there, but the, the God habit, the habit of walking with God every single day. What we're going to get into this morning will help you in the God habit. Let me know our habits are important. You, you believe, oh, they don't believe our habits are important. You know, you really don't choose your future. You choose your habits and your habits choose your future. I want you to check out this video real quick of someone who didn't have the best habits. And I think you'll understand what I'm saying. Excuse me, I'm sorry. but Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, I'm sorry to bother you, but I jog by here all the time. And I always see you outside and you look so happy and energetic. And I was just wondering if you could give me some tips for a, a long, happy life. What, like, what kind of diet do you have? I smoke three packs of cigarettes a day. Um, I drink a case of whiskey a week. Every morning that I can remember, I've had fried eggs, sausage, bacon, biscuit and gravy. Once a week, pancakes with peanut butter and maple syrup. And every day I eat at a fast food restaurant and I never exercise. You are kidding me. Mm -mm. Well, that, that's the strangest diet and plan for longevity I've ever heard. I mean, how old are you? 26. Come on, you didn't see that coming. You didn't see that coming. Have you know our habits are very important. Now, that's not an endorsement for those habits. Can I have an amen? But what we're going to talk about today is, is really developing the God habit. The key to an abundant life. Doesn't the Bible say Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly? The key to an abundant life is keeping God in His rightful place and in His rightful position which is first. God's rightful place is first. You know, we won't take time to look at it, but if you read Genesis 17, it's really powerful. God was calling Abram and, and talking to him about uh, what, what he wanted to do. And we see later on, it's Abraham. And God instructed Abraham. He said, walk and live habitually before me. Walk and live habitually before me. Meaning God is not just something we do on Sundays. God is not just something we do on Wednesdays. God is not just something we revolve our schedules around. Well, here's my schedule. Let me see where I can fit God in. God is our life. It's in Him we live, in Him we breathe, in Him we have our being. It's the God habit. It's keeping God first. You see, the Lord doesn't want to just hear what you desire to do. God wants to actually see what you are putting into action. We're all about holding God to His promises. Lord, you're faithful. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. And we're all about keeping God accountable to His faithfulness, right? But God says, what about you and the faithfulness I've called you to be? In our life group session last night, it was very powerful. It talked about not, not trying harder, but training harder. Certain things we cannot do by just trying. But, and then George brought out a great point. Once we train, we have to actually do what we've been trained to do. How many of you have ever trained to run a marathon? Let me see your hand. How many of you eat sausage and biscuits and pancake every day and a marathon's not on your radar? If you train and train for a marathon, what good is it if you don't go run the marathon? If you train and train and train for American Ninja Warrior, what good is all that training if you never go and apply and never go try it? I'll say this about a little guy we had here in the church a while back. Great guy, young man, really, really good on the piano, had a great gift but it was so hard to get him to want to play and he practiced and practiced and took lessons and we kept saying why don't you play for this and why don't you play for that and finally he realized you know okay i can do this i can step out and i can play what good is it to practice the piano for years if you're not going to play the piano so the god habit is about training ourselves through spiritual disciplines having no spiritual disciplines is not a bad word 
through training and godliness. And Paul uses these examples over and over and over again about running a race and, and fighting a fight as we're going to look at it in a minute. So we're going to develop our God habit. The first thing we've got to do concerning the God habit is we have to learn to put God first in our faith fight. We have to learn to put God first in our faith fight. Now, I'm going to talk about some things. Jazz, give me just a little more juice because I, I sang pretty hard today, and I, I don't want to have to, to push it. I need to cheer for my team tonight, amen? So I don't want to kill my voice here. But Yes, go Eagles. Hallelujah. But we've got to put God first in our faith fight. Now, now let, me, let me bring this home, all right? Let me spend a few minutes tilling this ground. This is something I really believe the Lord brought to me in a real powerful way. Put God first in our fight of faith. How many of you know that we are in a fight of faith? How many of you had no idea that we're in a fight? That's part of the problem with American Christianity is we don't realize we have an adversary. How many of you have ever been in a fight? How many know in a fight there's a winner and a loser? How many of you have ever been the loser in a fight? Anybody honest enough? I was a loser in many, many fights, and I actually won one fight as a young man. And I still remember that day. I was very proud. Now, I was getting picked on. I wasn't out, you know, instigating it, uh, at least that my mother knows. I was getting picked on, you know, praise the Lord. But, but in a fight, there's a winner and there's a loser. And so this morning, I want you to leave with this in mind. We're in a fight of faith. Am I going to be the winner? Am I going to be the loser? Just raising your hand and saying a prayer and accepting Jesus might get you as a winner in eternity, but it's not going to help you win on the earth. There's more godliness involved. There's more training. Thank God for giving your life to Christ. Thank God for eternity. But how many know we've got to live in the nasty now and now? We can't just be so focused on the sweet by and by. We have to live in the nasty now and now. And a lot of what happens to us in life, a lot of how we respond in life, a lot of how we come through things in life is determined by how we put God first. Do we put God first in our fight of faith? Look at 1 Timothy 6. I want to help you this morning in a real powerful way. Notice this scripture says this, 1 Timothy 6, 12. Fight the good fight of faith. That's a command. He's telling us it, it's not optional. If you sign up for Christianity, you sign up for a fight. We are to fight the good fight of faith. You have an adversary, the devil who is going about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. How many know I'm not going to be a whom, praise God? I'm not going to be one whom he can devour. Notice, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold. Notice the action. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. You have a calling to eternal life, but there is an element in your walk with God where you have to take hold of that. And it says, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses so i want you to see this word here to fight the word fight is is agonizomai and agonizomai in the greek language means to strive means to labor fervently this is not a passive thing listen church please hear my heart i want to help you this morning this is not a passive thing even even just coming to church is awesome thank god for coming to church especially a good church like this where we teach the word Believe in people. But even, listen, friends, just coming to church on Sundays alone is still what I would consider passive. Yes, come to church. Please do that. But that's not going to help you in your faith fight as much as other things that we can do when we put God first in our fight of faith. Now, look at this PowerPoint for life. Actually, I don't think I have it, Jared. I'll just read it. The good fight of faith must include God or else it's just a fight. It's a fight of faith. The good fight of faith must include God or it's just a fight and it's not even a good one at that. 
And so we've got to learn to fight the good fight of faith. Let me show you this in Scripture, 2 Chronicles 20. This is an Old Testament example, but we can pull these principles into the New Testament. It came about, notice this in verse 1, that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with the Mennonites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. And these three groups came to make war against Jehoshaphat. How many know it's bad to have one bully? It's bad to have two bullies. But now they've got three bullies that they have to deal with. They wanted their land. They wanted their women. They wanted their gold. They wanted to conquer them and rule them. This is not some little, oh, you throw spitwads at me in class. We want to kill you and annihilate you and wipe you off the map. This is three groups of people attacking the people of God. Notice this here in verse 2. So then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat. <laughs> I thought so many great things, Kathy, when I, was, when I was teaching this. They came and reported to Jehoshaphat. They said, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea of Aram. You know, this great multitude. They were problem pointers, but they were not problem solvers. There is no solution offered by those who brought the problems. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to be a problem pointer, you will go nowhere in life. But if you are a problem solver, you will excel. In your job, at your employment, with your family, never bring a problem without a solution. Never bring a, just be a problem pointer, but be a problem solver. So, so we have a major crisis here that's going on. So look at verse 3. I love this transparency. Pastor Michael, I love this honesty. Jehoshaphat was afraid. It's okay to be afraid. Now, Jesus said, fear not, and we can take courage. But I understand fear is real. Why was Jehoshaphat afraid? Because three groups of people were coming to wipe out his kingdom. He was afraid. And notice this. I love this. He had courage. I believe courage is not the absence of fear, but you've heard it said, courage is going forward anyway, even in the spite of fear. So courage is not meaning we're just not afraid. Let me know. It's okay to admit we have problems. We don't live in a Christian bubble where we can't ever say we have, we're having a bad day or having any problems. Now, we can choose joy. We can choose God's love and His, His promises. But we need to locate ourselves and admit He was afraid. Notice this here. And He turned His attention to seek the Lord. The first thing He did was not get the generals in the room. I mean, if I'm a king and, and I hear three major countries are coming against me, I'm like, uh, can you call the generals, please? Tell, tell them it's an emergency. <laughs> Whatever they're doing is not very important. Bring me the army. Get the tanks ready. But the first thing that King Jehoshaphat did was he set his attention to the Lord. Now, I want to help you in a huge, huge way. Please don't get bored. Please don't check out. Because I believe this message would be one that Satan would put sleepy dust all over the air and just cause everybody to be sleepy. There's not really any sleepy dust. I'm not, I'm not weird. Can I have an amen? But I believe this is one that, that you, will, you, will, you will likely be tempted to be distracted because this is so huge. So we have a battle. We have a fight. The first thing he did was turn his attention to seek the Lord. When you have challenges and tests and trials, if you will seek God first, you will get wisdom on the front end to help you decide how to fight or not to fight. You see, if you go into the battle on your own, if you go into the fight without God, if it's not a fight of faith, then you are going to be doing things in your own human wisdom, and it may not be the plan that God had for you. And so notice here, he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. But, but wisdom would say, Let's feed everybody as much as we can because we're going to fight. We need our strength. He said, let's fast. Notice godly wisdom doesn't always go with worldly wisdom. Thank God for natural wisdom. 
But notice here the wisdom of God. So I want to travel on down just a moment in this story. Let's go to verse 12, Jared. I don't know if I actually loaded verse 12, so I'm going to read it. I put it in later. Let me read you verse 12. It says, Our God, will you not judge them? Listen to what he said. He said, For we have no power. Somebody say, No power. We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. King Jehoshaphat said this problem is too big to fix. This problem is too big to figure. So we're going to set our eyes on seeking the Lord. We're going to put God first in our fight of faith. And notice this here. If you can pull up the next verse, Jared, I think it's verse uh, 13. This is huge. The Lord gave me such revelation on this. My heart was just inflated with God's wisdom and presence as I read this. Look at this. In all of Judah was standing. That's all the people of God. All. Somebody say all. They were standing before the Lord. Notice this. Say this with me. Ready? With their infants, their wives, and their children. Say it again. With their infants, their wives, and their children. In this fight of faith, this is a family fight of faith. This is a family fight of faith. We are not men. We are not fighting this battle on our own. Single parents out there, you are not fighting this battle on your own. Single person out there, you're not fighting this battle on your own. We must involve our families. Are you teaching your children to go to God first when we have challenges and problems? Or, or, or the first thing that happens when there's a, something that's going wrong or a trial or a test, do your children automatically go to natural wisdom? Do they automatically go to natural things? Or have you trained them that the first thing we do, seek the Lord as a family? God is teaching me this in a real powerful way. When we have challenges, when we have a fight, the first thing we're going to do with my wives and my, my, my wife, <laughs> I have one wife, <laughs> And she is more than enough. <laughs> and honey, I mean that in a loving way. <laughs> I don't have that thousand wife calling, man. Dear me, it's, it's, oh my gosh. Me and my wife and my children. I do have plural children. Me and my one wife and my children. We're going to set our eyes and we're going to learn as a family to fight the fight of faith first. I'm teaching my children that. Say this with me. Say this fight of faith is a family fight of faith. Notice here, i got to go back to that. Notice it said in their infants. Even keeping your babies in the presence of God is life-changing. It's absolutely life-changing. Instead of watching Ready, Steady, Wiggles, how about you put on some Christian worship music or some kind of Christian video for your kids? Nothing against Ready, Steady, Wiggles. We have our fair share of Ready, Steady, Wiggles at home. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you don't want to find out. <laughs> Just stay un, un, uh, uneducated on that one, please. But how about we, we don't just always do ready, steady, wiggles. No offense if you're listening, ready, steady, wiggles. No offense against you. But how about we don't always just do ready, steady, wiggles. How about at some point even our babies are in the presence of God. That's why it's all church prayer. That's why there's no child care on all church prayer. Because I want my 3-year-old, my 18-month-old, my 10-year-old in God's presence. My 9-year-old, amen? And I want my multitude of wives in God's presence, amen? <laughs> I'm teasing. Now notice what happened here. Whew, it's getting hot in here. Hallelujah. Notice this. So in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came. God doesn't go just where He's needed. He goes where He's invited. That's a huge misnomer in the body of Christ is that people think they see all this need in the world and they say, where is God? 
Well, the truth is God goes anywhere he's invited, but he, he must be invited into our life. King Jehoshaphat invited God into his life. And look what happened in the midst of the assembly. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazel. Now look in verse 15. The Lord said, now listen, if they had went with their own plan and went with their own battle and went in their own strength, they would have missed what God wanted to do. They would have fought in a battle they were not called to fight in. They would have fought a battle they were not called to fight in. Many Christians are fighting battles that God never intended for you to fight. Notice this here. This is so powerful. Listen, all of Judah, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, King Joseph, thus say the Lord, do not fear, do not be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. So we have a major problem, major tragedy. We don't know what to do. We set our heart and seek the Lord. God gives wisdom. If you read the rest of the story, the armies actually begin to fight each other. They begin to go, they begin to be confused. And the, the, the Moabites were fighting the Mennonites, and the Mennonites were fighting the Ammonites. And when the, the army of, of Judah showed up, there was nothing but dead bodies. It was already over. And it took four days to gather all the spoils, all the equipment, all the weaponry, all the gold, all the silver. The people of God were tremendously blessed, and they did not actually have to fight. Isn't that, isn't that powerful? Because they sought the Lord first. Look at this slide. God is not honored when we go to Him last. God is not honored when we go to Him last. God is honored when we go to Him first. So now, I want to get into some sensitive things this morning, and I want to be very cautious, but I want a few minutes of your time because I really, I really want to walk this out with you in a real practical way that's real big in my heart. I am not against natural wisdom. I am not against counsel. I am not against the way that we think things should go. I'm not against certain self-help books. I'm not against your effort and your trying. I'm not against any of those things. But I want to show you some things from God's Word where when we go to God first, things always work out better than if we just go with this on our own. It's not even going to God second. It's not even going to God third. Jehoshaphat didn't bring the army together and make a plan and then ask God to come in and bless their plan. He went to God first. What's the title of this series? First things first. So this is, I'm bringing you this from 18 years of walking this out with the Lord. And, and I don't do it perfectly, but I can tell you that, that I'm training myself, like we talked about in Life Group, I'm training myself to go to God first, not to Facebook first. Ooh, it got quiet in this monastery. Not to the family first. I'm training myself to go to God First, all right, number one, you'll see this on the screen here. There's a whole litany of things here. Here's some areas that we can put God first in. These are the areas that is very easy to omit going to God first. Now, the first one here is in our health. I love what Pastor Michael said. We want to be disease-free. We want to be divorce-free. We want to be destruction-free. What was the other D? Drug-free. We want to be drug-free. Can you imagine a church with no divorces in it? Praise God. Now, I'm not talking about if you've already uh, had a divorce. You know, we can't undo that. Can't, you know, can't go back and change that. But how many know going forward, we can believe God for 100% marriages. We're stuck in loving it. 
How many know it's better than being stuck? <laughs> We're stuck in loving it. Can you imagine a church where nobody's addicted to drugs or alcohol? Can you imagine a church where nobody is battling and, and overcome with disease? I can see that. And I believe that, that's, I believe that that's God's plan for our body. See why you need to be a part of this body? Because that's what we're believing for. Now, notice this here. Number one is our health. Now, I want everybody to listen. Can everybody, I need your eyeballs, okay? I love medicine. I love doctors. Thank God for Susan. She's in medicine. Sabrina's in medicine. Chelsea's in medicine. Our sweet new lady over here is in medicine. I am not at all saying anything negative against doctors, medicine. If you need a doctor, I will be the very first person to put you in my car and take you to the doctor. Please do not hear something I'm not saying. If you need medicine, I will be the absolute first person to go and buy you the medicine and bring it to you. I will even open your little trap and put it in for you and pour water on you. I will do anything I can do to help you. But I want to show you some things in the scripture here that I believe God is challenging us in. Now again, certain qualifications here, okay? Do not practice your faith on your children, meaning don't let your little baby lay there and burn up with fever because you're trying to figure out how to get your faith to work, okay? That's silly, that's irresponsible. If it didn't happen for you that time, we'll try again next time, amen? Uh, let me give you a testimony. Can I give you my own testimony? Let me give you my own. I'm going to anyway because I have the microphone. <laughs> so you should like it because it's coming. So this week on uh, Wednesday morning, really late, late Tuesday night, Lillian was kind of whiny, uh, which she's typically whiny, but she was a little extra whiny. Lillian is my little three-year-old. And uh, she started feeling bad really into, into Tuesday night. And I woke up at 3 a.m. and she was not feeling very well. And so I got out the healing scriptures at 3 a.m. And I've got a recording and I've sent it to many of you where a, a pastor just reads healing scriptures. And so at 3 a.m. I was putting it on and my wife didn't even have to ask what I was doing. She already knew healing scriptures are coming our way. So I turned a little audio thing on and we just went back to bed. Listen, got up Wednesday morning and Lillian was just sick. I'll just admit it to you. She was very, very sick. Found out later that three days before, she was exposed very close to a small young girl who had strep and the flu. So I knew in my heart that this had all the makings of, of the flu. And you understand little three-year-olds getting the flu in the natural is not good. You know, nobody getting the flu is good, but you know, it can be very challenging. So I knew in my heart that this had the makings of what appeared to be the flu. So this was all day Wednesday. She didn't really get off the couch, didn't really eat. We made her drink. And you know, Lillian, she runs around like a pistol. She didn't, she didn't move. She just laid on the couch all day. And so that morning we got up, got the healing scriptures out, prayed over her, prayed over the family. Uh, that afternoon when I came home, got the healing scriptures out, prayed, prayed over her and the family, came to church, did church, went home, gathered around. As soon as we walked in the door, she was still laying on the couch. And I said, this is just not acceptable. This is just not what we need right now. And so now as a family, let me clarify, as a family, we'd already decided, Pastor Michael, we'd already talked about it. If Lillian was not substantially better come Thursday morning, we were going to the doctor, okay? I want to lay that out there. I want everybody to know. We had already discussed if she's not substantially better by Thursday morning, we're going to take her to the doctor, okay? But we're going to give God a chance to do something here. Uh, we monitored the fever, wasn't above the danger line, so forth, so on. We were watching all those things very carefully, very cautiously. So we came home from church, and the minute we walked in the door, I saw she was still uh, sitting on the 
uh, laying on the couch. And so I had the kids come over before they, I said, go wash your hands first because <laughs> they've been around all you people. And then, and then they came back and we knelt down. And as a family, we prayed and we, I got the, I got the scriptures out that I keep printing. We spoke those scriptures over her and there was a scripture that I read and I believe it's Matthew chapter eight. You know, when you give God a chance, certain scriptures will just illuminate to you and you become one with that scripture. That scripture becomes alive in your heart. I believe it's Matthew eight quoted it, you know, a hundred times. But Jesus prayed for the servant. I believe it was the centurion's servant. And it says that same hour he was healed. Notice this here. It wasn't instantly. It was that same hour. And I began to just cry. And I said, Lord. And I felt the Spirit of God really rising up with him. And I said, if you could heal that servant in the same hour, then you can heal my little daughter in the same hour. This thing doesn't have to wait and go on and on and on. And so fast forward. We woke up Thursday morning, and so she had really one day of being sick, laying down sick. We woke up Thursday morning. Guess who beat us out of bed? Lillian. My three, guess what the first thing she said was? I'm healed. The very first thing she said, come on, can we give God thanks? Joseph and Kaylee saw her Friday night at a play, just a spunky. Now, she wasn't 100% better, but, man, she was way better than what she was. And, 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 and even throughout the day, Kathy, this is so cute. You'll think this is funny. I was holding Tate, and Lily came up and got real close. Lillian's a close talker, if you ain't ever known. She got all up in Tate's business. And I said, Lillian, you know, don't get close to Tate. You've been recovering from sickness. She said, but, Daddy, I'm healed. What do you mean? I'm healed. I said, you're right. Come on, you know, kiss him. Just whatever, you know, but... But no, she came up and, and she wanted to kiss me, Pastor Michael. She said, give me a kiss. And I went down like this. And she said, no, 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 on the lips. And I was thinking, all right, devil, I'll show you. Come on, kiss me right on the mouth. Bring it on. <laughs> now, I'm not recommending you do that. But I really, in, in that moment, I thought, you know what? I want to I show the devil here what, what we got going on. Come on, lay, one, lay a big wetman. Just lick me right here. You know, lay it on me. And so, I'm yeah, we're not bringing out snakes, all right? But listen, I hesitate, I hesitate to tell you that. Because, look, there's been plenty of times we've done that and we've needed to take our kids to the doctor, give mess, and so forth and so on. But I, I just felt so determined that we were going to give God a chance. We were going to give God a chance. Look with me here in the scriptures. Look at Second Chronicles 16. This is very, very powerful. To open this scripture up, Jared, Second Chronicles 16. Notice this here. In the 39th year of his reign, King Asa developed a serious foot disease. Asa developed this let me get my mouth going here. Asa developed a serious foot disease, yet even with the severity of his disease, he did not seek the Lord's help, but turned only to the physicians. Notice here, his, his downfall was not that he turned to the physicians. I thank God for doctors, thank God for medicine, I thank God for what they do. The problem with King Asa is that he did not turn to the Lord at all. Even in the severity of his disease, he turned only to the physicians. Look what happened in verse 13. Didn't go so well for him. So he died in the 41st year of his reign. Why did he die? Because he turned only to the doctors. Our sweet friend over here who's in medicine, she'll tell you doctors are practicing medicine. I mean, oh, Jesus has it down. Can I have an amen? And so there's no, no sin in turning to the physicians. But there is a sin when you turn only to the physicians. Listen, I've been to the doctor and I've taken medicine and by golly, I go in faith. I go thinking, Lord, give this doctor wisdom. I go, you're going to give me medicine. I don't know what's in that little white powder. I didn't make that. Lord, I'm trusting you. This does what it's supposed to do and nothing else. You know, when you, when you get medicine, you hear all those side effects. You know, the ingrown toenails and the bloody flukes and the, 
you know, the double vision and all that. Some of you are like, no, nah, I'll just take my sickness, you know, <laughs> diarrhea and all that. It's like, who wants any of that stuff? You know what? When I take medicine, Lord, I thank you. You cancel all that other stuff because I'm better off without it. Amen. So if we, and, and even when we do the shots and vaccines and things for our kids, we pray for those before we get in there and we say, Lord, we thank you that these only do what they're supposed to do. There's no negative side effects, no negative anything that's associated with these. What are you doing? I'm going to God first. I'm going to the Lord first. Look at Proverbs 4.21. Don't lose sight of God's words. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. They bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. So let's go to the next one. Not only in our health do we want to go to God first, but in our conflicts. Anytime we have struggles and conflicts, it's so easy to go to other things, other people, easy to go to Facebook, but we must learn to go to God in our conflicts. Now begin to think about conflicts. How can we cope with conflict? Here's some things to ask. Write this down. Number one, what is the source of the conflict? What is the source of this conflict? How many of you have ever had conflict? How many of you have wondered, what is the source of this conflict? Is it my pride? Apparently it is. Amen. Is it someone unreasonable? You know there are unreasonable men and women out there. I pray, and it's a scripture from Thessalonians, that we would be delivered from unreasonable people. I can't deal with unreasonable people. I just can't. So I need to be delivered from unreasonable people because I cannot deal with unreasonable people. So what's the source of my conflict? Is it pride? Is it someone unreasonable? Am I wrong or am I right? What's the source of the conflict? Am I right or am I wrong? Can you say that? Wrong. <laughs> I heard a story of a young man who wanted to get married and he came to his dad and he said, Dad, I'm ready to get married. I'm 20-something years old. I'm ready to get married. And the dad looked at him and said, Son, you tell me you're sorry. And the son said, no, I'm, I'm not sorry. I'm, I'm coming to you for marriage advice here. No, 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 son, you tell me you're sorry. Dad, quit goofing around. I, I want to I be married. I, I want to get on my own. I want a wife. Son, tell me you're sorry. After a few minutes of that, the son blew up and said, Dad, I'm not telling you I'm sorry. What do you want? What did I do? There, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There, what else can I do? And the dad said, now you're ready to get married. <laughs> So what's the source of conflict? Am I right? Am I wrong? Is this spiritual opposition? Listen, friends, some conflict that you enter is actually spiritual. It has an assignment against you and your family. Is there a misunderstanding? Most conflicts are because misunderstanding. I don't want to get too deep into this theological, but Scripture says Satan is the, the power. He's the power in the air. He's the prince of the air. Do you know right now in this room there are all kinds of voices some of you are like, oh, yeah, I hear those all the time. No, not those kind of voices. <laughs> but there are literally right now, if you had a radio, you could dial in. There are frequencies right now. You could turn on music. You could turn in voices. You're just not listening to that certain frequency. Satan is the power of the air. I believe with all my heart that when my voice enters the air, sometimes Satan takes my words and he twists them and causes you to hear something else. You walk in like this and you say, honey, when is dinner going to be ready? And your wife heard, you're taking too long. I'm really hungry. When is this dinner going to be ready? And that's what your wife hears. And your wife says, it'll be ready when I get it ready. And Satan twists that. And, and you hear, if you want dinner, you better cook it on your own. And so how many you know, Satan can take what we hear. So what is the source of conflict? Look at this. Let me say this. Ready? People are not the source of your conflict. People are not the source of your conflict. Look at Ephesians 6.12. 
Notice the scripture here. We are not warring and fighting against flesh and blood. We're in a fight. We're in a faith fight. But it's not against flesh and blood. Pastor Michael and myself, occasionally, we may have a conflict. But he's not my problem. I'm not fighting against Joyce. That's why we get along in this church. Because you're not my enemy. Even if you don't like me, you're not my enemy. Even if you think my preaching stinks. Which, how could you possibly do that? Even if you don't like me, you're not my enemy. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, but we're against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So you've got to recognize the source of your enemy. Not only do we go to God in our health and in our conflicts, but look at this as we close this up today. We go to God in our tests and trials. We go to God in our struggles. James chapter 1 is a tremendous book to help you get through trials. My brethren, when you fall into different kind of tests and trials, count it all joy. And then James 1.5. Look what James 1.5 says. When we find ourselves in tests and trials, it says if you need wisdom. Wisdom about what? Read James 1, 1, 2, and 3. Wisdom about the trial that you are in. If we need wisdom about the trial and the test that we're in, ask our generous God and He will give it to you. And He will not rebuke you for asking. So we can't just have our plan A with tests and trials and conflicts. We can't just have our plan B and then if plan B doesn't work, we'll go to plan C. And if plan C doesn't work, we'll go to plan D. And if plan E doesn't work, we'll go to F. And then eventually we hit plan G, plan God. We can't just have our well-laid plans. We must go to God first and allow God to to help us with our plan. Last illustration, we'll close with this. I heard a story of an old farmer this story takes 17 minutes, but how many of you are okay, amen? Heard a story of an old farmer, and he, he was really teaching his kids to go to God first. You know, every year they'd pray over their crops, and every year they'd pray over their equipment. Really lived out this before his kids. And, you know, one of the kids would be sick, and one of the sons would say, Dad, are we going to call the doctor? And the, the farmer would say, Son, we'll call the doctor if we need to but we're going to give God a chance to to do this here. And then right before harvest, they worked all year, right before harvest, this farmer's tractor broke. And the son came to the dad and said, Dad, are we going to go to the bank and get a loan for a tractor? And the farmer looked at the son and said, Son, we'll go to the bank if we need to, but we're going to give God a chance first. And so the very next day, another farmer in the area heard about this story, heard about what happened to the man's tractor came, knocked on the door and said, hey, I, I wanted you to know I got a brand new tractor and uh, nothing wrong with my old one. I just, just got a brand new one. I'm going to let you have my tractor. I believe this was a true story. I'm going to let you have my tractor. Oh, and by the way, you can pay me over three years. Oh, and by the way, I don't have to have any payment until harvest comes in. How many know we need to go to God first? In our marriage, look at this screen, Jared, in our marriage and in our relationships, we're going to spend an entire series on how to go to God first in our marriage, how to go to God first in in our finances, because we want to seek first the kingdom of God. We want God's rule and reign in our life. Last scripture, 2 Kings 1.16. I want you to see this as we get ready to close. If you read about King Isaiah one of the kings of Israel, he fell through lattice work in his palace, the upper room, and he was severely wounded. This king had a tragic, tragic falling, very, very wounded. And, and the time came uh, for him to, to call for help. And I want you to notice this here. This, this is the same people of David, same people of Solomon. But this king, King Isaiah, didn't call for his priest. He called for the temple of Beelzebub. And Beelzebub was a false god in the land, the land of Ekron. And so the Bible says that King Isaiah called for the priest in the temple of Beelzebub to find out if he would live or not. 
And, and Elijah, the prophet of God, intercepted the message, and they went back and forth and back and forth. And I want you to know this this year. So Elijah came and said to the king, the king was injured, thought he was going to die. He called for the false gods, the temple, to find out if he was going to live or not. And Elijah came and said to the king, this is what the Lord says. Why did you send to messengers of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, and ask whether you recover? Is there no god in Israel to answer your questions. Therefore, because you've done this, you will never leave this bed you are lying on and you will surely die. So I'll leave you with this question. Is there no God in Israel that you can call upon? Is there no God in heaven that you can go to first? He may lead you to go to the doctor. He may lead you to go to a financial planner. He may lead you to invest more in your 401k. He may lead you to save more in the natural. But let's go to God first and get His plan. And we may not even have to fight some of the battles that we thought we would have to fight. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank You so much for this message. Thank You for this.